Welcome to Frost Heave Revival. This is a podcast of the American Baptist Churches of Vermont, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Denny, host of the podcast and pastor of United Baptist Church in Concord, New Hampshire. Now, on Frost Heave Revival, what we are doing is sharing stories of how the Holy Spirit is at work, even in New England. And, you know, I guess it's true that Vermont and New Hampshire are, are among the least churched states in the U.S. Uh, you know, that's pretty much a statistical fact. But here's the thing. I don't think that means God has abandoned us. I actually think the opposite is true. Uh, certainly, most of the 150 Baptist churches in our region are kind of small in size and, you know, you might say low-key in appearance. Not, not, not splashy, not big. But even so, there are all kinds of instances where God is at work opening doors, where Christians are loving their neighbors, and the gospel is catching on. People are turning to Jesus. And this is happening often in small, ordinary ways. But for all that are nevertheless very real and very powerful. And this is what our guest today, Kathleen Blackie, is all about. Now, Kathleen is co-pastor, along with her husband, Chris, of the First Baptist Church of South Londonderry, Vermont, which, which she says may be the longest church name in the world. Um, but for several years now, Kathleen has been engaging in a very unusual, very tangible and real way of loving her neighbors. And she calls what she does Fellowship Bread. Now, rather than explain all that to you, I think I will just stop here and we'll start the interview so you can hear it straight from Kathleen. Terrific. I am here on the line with Kathleen Blackie. She is co-pastor of First Baptist Church of South Londonderry, Vermont. Before, before I said it, I asked her if that was actually the name of the church, and she uh, agreed it actually is. Hey, Kathleen. Hi. Hi. Good to good to get you um, on uh, Frost Heave Revival. Um, why don't you Why don't you start by just telling a little bit about yourself, your history, your family, your ministry? Just kind of introduce yourself to the to the listeners. Okay. So um, I grew up in Central New Hampshire mostly. And uh, shortly after my husband, Chris, and I got married, uh, he felt a strong sense uh, to go into the ministry, which uh, his grandfather, who had died um, previously, had told him he'd be a pastor. Um, and so a lot of that kind of stuff had come back to him uh, shortly after we got married. Um, and so we ended up going to seminary together which uh, I had no desire to necessarily go to seminary with Chris, um, but what? That's just funny. I'm laughing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. So um, I uh, had some um, pastors and pastor spouses who really encouraged me to go because they, they basically said that um, we'd be doing ministry together and it would be good for me to go to school with Chris. So um, I didn't necessarily ex 
uh, expect to be a pastor at the time, um, but I really felt God calling me to go to seminary with Chris. So we went to Gordon-Conwell, and we graduated in 2009. Both, and we within, had, both of you with an MDiv? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we did, we did it in about three and a half years, yeah. and it was a little... Uh, it was a little crazy, but we, um, we managed to do it in the three and a half years. And, um, we felt a strong geographical call to stay in Northern New England. And so we really were looking at churches and then, um, mostly in Maine, New Hampshire and Vermont. And, uh, when we started talking to Lou George about Vermont and New Hampshire, he gave us a list of church names. And that we're going to be looking in the next year at that point. It was right before we graduated. Right. And I felt a really strong sense of South Londonderry. And I had never heard of the town before. I didn't know anything about Southern Vermont. I don't even know if I'd ever been to Southern Vermont before. But um, I really felt strongly about South Londonderry. Uh, And it took probably almost a year before we actually ended up coming here but God um, really orchestrated it so that Chris and I both felt equally uh, called to come and serve as co-pastors here at First Baptist. Yeah and that's a whole conversation of its own. Um, it's not it's not unheard of but it's also not all that common for a husband and wife to be uh, serving together as pastors in one church. Yeah and and we didn't know what that would completely look like when we came um and thankfully our church uh congregation is great like they have been super flexible in kind of figuring it out together uh what it meant and i'm grateful for that yeah that's good when you were talking about um all the people who are telling you you should go to seminary with chris uh what i thought of was the memes where it says things like go to seminary they said it'll be a lot of fun they said you'll love it they said yeah yeah oh absolutely and uh I I felt pretty out of place when I was at seminary mostly because I'd never been really in Christian culture before I had always been like well I mean I went to church and everything but like I didn't have many friends who were Christians I didn't like I don't know I I felt awkward like I remember the first time being at seminary and hearing overhearing two people talking about praying about something and I was like that is so weird I just wasn't (laughs) used to that not not opposed to it just not used to it (laughs) right and so I and someone was like isn't it great that you get to be with all Christians all the time and I was like it is but it's strange (laughs) (laughs) that's great (laughs) which probably makes actually uh means that your pre-seminary life was good preparation for ministering in uh, Northern New England. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that was why God called us to stay in Northern New England is because we understand um, that, you know, there's not lots and lots of Christians around so that we understand the, the context a little bit easier. Right, right. Now, how long have you been at South Londonderry? So as of February, it's been 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have a couple of kids. I have three. Three kids, right? Okay, yeah. more than a couple. That's a few. You have a few. Yeah. A few children, and and of course, uh, we, we can't do an interview with any of the Blackies without discussing the big event at South Londonderry First Baptist. 
Absolutely. So let's, so, let's um, sketch that out and we'll move on because that's not the main topic of our conversation today. Right. No, totally. Uh, so we moved here uh, in February and uh, in August, so it's been 10 years, uh, we woke up in the middle of the night to someone yelling into our bedroom window that the church was on fire. Um, and so Chris ran down to the building and I remember he called me shortly after and he, he was like, the building is gone. Um, and it was com- the, the fire completely destroyed the building, um, in only a few short hours. And we, uh, we, I, I mean, I, looking back, we had no idea what that would mean. Um, yeah. but we really felt called to stay. Um, and I think that kind of surprised some people that we were, willing to stick it out but we had made the decision and we really felt like um when we uh interviewed we told the church that we wouldn't uh we wouldn't come to this church unless we saw ourselves staying for at least 10 years and now that it's been 10 years we don't see ourselves going anywhere for a long time so um it was it was a pretty crazy first year here Yes, a pretty crazy first year and the subsequent years. It took you how many years to, you have rebuilt now. You you have a church building again. We do have a church building. Um, we uh, have occupancy for the first level um, or for yeah. the main level now. Uh, and we're working on the upper level and the lower level now. So it's still a work in progress. It is. Yeah, that is an amazing story. And, and um yeah, I, but that's not the main reason I wanted to talk to you today. What, what, you know, as I mentioned to you, you know, before we started actually recording, was that um, you've been doing something that really caught my interest and I thought was a story that ought to be told. You've been doing this really interesting thing that you've been calling Fellowship Bread. Why don't you tell us what Fellowship Bread is about? Uh, yeah, so uh, years ago, I... I started baking bread, um, yeast bread, uh, and it was something that I really enjoyed doing. How many years ago do you know about? Um, I think I got into it, I want to say probably eight or nine years ago. Nine years ago. Uh, so uh, I, 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 measure, I remember things based on how old my kids were. So I think <laughs> I was a baby at the time. Yep. <laughs> um, but I, I enjoyed making it. And then I kind of got out of the habit of making baking bread uh because life gets in the way and uh after my third child was born uh Priscilla she was born in 2016 and she had uh shortly after she was born she started having seizures and uh, we ended up at Dartmouth for a week and um, months later we found out that she has a rare genetic uh mutation that causes neonatal epilepsy and uh, some other things, some developmental delays and stuff like that, which she inherited from me. Mm. We didn't know that I had it, but um, it was a pretty crazy first few months of her life. And uh, I spent a lot of time on Instagram when I, uh, when she was little, because she just needed to be held a lot. She was uh, one of the side effects of her medication was crankiness. So we spent a lot of quality time together and my phone was sort of my outlet to the outside world. And 
I somehow came across some really beautiful pictures of uh, loaves of bread. And I just, I remember telling Chris and telling one other person, like, this is what I want to make. I want to make this bread. And it took me probably a year at that point before I actually figured out what that meant and what it was that I was looking at. So um, one of my other friends had- Hold on a second. I want to go back to that for a second. When you say what it meant, what do you mean? I mean, it's bread. So what do you mean by I didn't know- I didn't know what kind of bread it was, like how, how you make like, and it was like a boule, like a round loaf. And I was like, I had never made one. I'd only made like canned loaves of bread. So I I didn't know, like I had to figure out, oh, you need a Dutch oven. Oh, you need this. Um, And it's, you know, most people, you you can do a yeasted bread like that, but um, a lot of people do sourdough. And so I wanted to try sourdough, but I was a little nervous about it because it seemed pretty intimidating. Um, But one of my friends, she was like, I was thinking about starting sourdough. Do you want to do it at the same time? And that kind of got me over that hurdle. And I started um, baking bread and early on, maybe a few months into it, uh, I was making a recipe that, that would make two loaves of bread. And I made two loaves and I was like, well, this is kind of silly. I, we don't really need two loaves. Maybe I'll ask um, this one person if, if she wants the other loaf. And it was kind of like, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't really something that I thought about too, too much. Um, but uh, I knew that she had gone through a really traumatic thing in her life. And so I just sent her a quick message and said, Hey, I made two loaves of bread. Do you want the other one? And she was like, absolutely. And, uh, she stopped by and we chatted about the traumatic thing that was going on in her life. And uh, it was a really cool connection point. And, um, and God was like working in that in ways that I had no idea. And um, we, and, and then I started then on another whim, I decided I would just put a picture of one of my loaves of bread and say on Facebook and say, Hey, does anyone want to, trade with me and um that began an interesting journey of of like trying to figure out what that meant and making connections with people that way and then I just started baking a lot of bread and (laughs) way more than my family could eat and so I um and it became a real like I, I didn't even realize it, but it like, it became a spiritual thing. Um, almost like, uh, it may, it became a discipline. Like I, so when you make sourdough bread, you have to like, you don't just make it for that day. Like I have to mix the, mix the dough and then like at night and then the next morning I have to, I have to bake it. And there's this whole process. It, it, you know, it can take from 12 to 24 hours, depending on what I'm making. And so um, it became this like trust thing, like, okay, God, I'm going to start making this loaf of bread, but I have no idea who it's going to. So if you can like, let me know, that'd be great. So I, uh, so I would get strong senses of people who needed a loaf of bread. And, and that has been a really like I have to trust that God has the person in mind before I even bake it. And it's really cool to see like who comes, who comes to mind when I'm baking the bread. So, yeah, so that's, a, that 
raises the next question, how do you determine who it goes to? And, and the idea, what's interesting is you started out baking for yourself and your family, and then you started baking more loaves than your family needed. And your immediate go-to then was, well, let's give this away. N not put it in the freezer, not have a freezer <laughs> full of bread, you know, but just start giving it away. And then, then you seem to start to think of, this is going to somebody who needs it, maybe in ways that I don't understand. How do I find out who it goes to? So talk to talk about that. Yeah. So sometimes uh, it's just someone shows up at our house and is having a hard day and I have an extra loaf that I had no idea where it was going. So I'll give it to them. Sometimes I have a strong sense for a while that like um, that a certain person needs it. And sometimes it feels really awkward because it might be someone, a neighbor I don't know that well. Um, and so I... Uh, but God just doesn't let that person go in my mind. And so I know that it's from him and that um, that person needs a loaf. I have someone in mind and I've been thinking about her for, I don't know, like a month. And I'm like, I just need to do it. Even though we're like, I don't know her well, I just need to bake her a loaf and drop it off. So there's not really any rhyme or reason sometimes about how it happens, but uh, I see God like opening up so many doors um, and connections with people. Uh, it's a lot easier to say, um, here's a loaf of bread um, and to start a relationship that way than to um, try to force uh, Jesus into a conversation right in the beginning. Um, yeah. And so I found that it, it opens people up in ways that I would have never imagined. Simple act of kindness, generosity, yeah. right? Absolutely. And I think, uh, so then at some point I decided that I wanted to create an Instagram account because that's what everybody does with their bread. And, um, so I started calling it fellowship bread. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, who knows what koinonia is only crazy Christian people know what koinonia is. Right. Right. They and I wanted it to be accessible, like yeah, yeah. that people didn't feel overwhelmed. And um, one of my friends, I traded him. Uh, he did. He made a little logo for me and I traded him a loaf of bread for it. Uh, but he there was a um, in the logo, there's a house and it has a little flower in the front yard. And the flower is uh, a, a sort of uh a remembrance of Priscilla when she was really little and before she could talk um she uh we were doing sign language with her quite a bit uh yeah. her speech uh speech and language pathologist uh, encouraged us to do that and whenever we would talk about flour like for bread um Chris and I she would make the sign for flour yeah. like uh, the plant and so that's a little a remembrance of when she uh would do that uh but um yeah and I so I have like a little I put a sticker on it and then I used to use plastic bags when I gave away my loaves of bread um but last fall I got a little convicted of using um plastic bags so I started using paper bags but then I felt kind of sad because you couldn't see the loaf of bread um, so I started writing things on the bags. Um, so sometimes I find like a quote or a scripture or, um, sometimes I let my kids decorate the bag and then I close it with a little sticker. Um, and, um, I've got a lot of good feedback from that. 
Well, no doubt. I can see why. Let's go back to something you said a little earlier. I, w- I want to come back to more of the stories, some of the stories you have of people that you've given bread to. But you said something earlier about how this became a spiritual thing. You know, mm-hmm. having, being elbow deep in flour and dough, right? Uh, and, and ovens and yeast to becoming a spiritual thing. And I think, tell me if I'm wrong, that's kind of a two-level thing, probably. It's within you, right? As well as the spirituality of giving and being generous and being in conversation with other people. So when we're, is that fairly, is that? Accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, talk I, to me I, about the spirituality within you, how that, how this has affected you. Um. So I think it was good for me as a, um, so as a pastor, like you can get just so like focused on being a pastor all the time and, and, I had a lot of focus on being a pastor and being a mom and uh, I didn't really have a hobby. Um, And I think just life got, got really busy. And so it was hard to, to, um, to have anything. And so I think it was good for me to have an interest that was outside of being a mom and a wife and a pastor. Uh, And so um, it kind of, it was good for me to like, I, I joke around because I had this aunt who loved to cook and she collected cookbooks. And I think um, before she died, she had collected over 600 cookbooks, <laughs> um, which seems crazy, like so many cookbooks. But now I realize that I am becoming my aunt <laughs> and collecting all the cookbooks. Uh so uh, there'll be a new bread cookbook that comes out. And I'm like, I have to have this. And, and uh, Chris uh, just, he, he laughs because I am collecting all the cookbooks now. Um, but I think it was good for me to have some sort of interest outside of um, the realms that I was kind of in before. And uh, now it gives me like something to talk to about other people. And then, and then on a spiritual level, it's really just good to do something with my hands. I do a lot of uh, stuff in my head, um, like for work. And so I think it's good for me to do something physical with my hands. Um, And I, as I, uh, I don't even know when I started doing this. It was over a year ago. Um, But uh, whenever I, uh, so whenever I slash my bread, um, you can do all sorts of intricate designs and that kind of thing. But uh, it, I had made a loaf, or no, I think I posted a lo- a picture of a loaf on Facebook or something. And someone at church, she said it was just stunning to her because I had done it in in uh, a cross. And it wasn't, that was actually more of a, I'm just learning how to do this. So I'll do it in the, the shape of a cross. But it had like really, like it was really significant to her to see that that image yeah. of the cross. And so I just started always doing a cross. Um, and then somehow I found myself every time I would do that is to say, may those who eat this bread experience the love of Christ. And I just say that in my head every time. And, um, and I pray while I, I, when I, when I mix the dough and, you know, I just, it's, it's really, um, 
the joy that I get uh, in baking bread, I just haven't found joy in in something else like that. And so that has been a really good thing. And I think um, for me personally, um, yeah, it's hard to talk about sometimes because it's just so uh, in part of my life now that I, I do it. I think I've baked two loaves this week and that's not much for me. <laughs> we should live closer together, I think, but that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm definitely uh, a glutophile. I'm i I'm very happy to eat wheat. Um, mm-hmm. A great deal of it. And, and, you know, of course um, that's really, that's beautiful and fascinating because of it doesn't sound like it has ever it's a lot of work but it doesn't sound like it's ever been a lot of work for you no no and i think especially since i work well i work from home a lot but yeah. i also church is just around the corner so my the way that my schedule works it's pretty convenient for me to bake a lot of bread um if i worked far away from home it would be much more challenging so mm-hmm. I think it's just become part of my routine I feed my starter at least once or twice a day and um, my kids actually are trying to start their own starter because there's a certain type of bread that they like and they want to be able to bake it whenever they want it right. so there's a couple of terms you used I you we were talking about all the kind of high level stuff mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that about yourself I think um, there may be some people that don't know that much about bread making and you've talked mm-hmm. about flashing the bread. You've talked about starter. Uh, you've talked about uh, yeast bread and sourdough bread. I, I don't know that everybody's familiar with what all those mean. Can you give us a, like just in a couple of minutes, a quick overview of what it, what it means for you when you're making bread, how that, what, what the process is? Yeah. So there's two types, well, two basic types of bread, yeasted bread or um, sourdough bread. And, uh, sourdough bread you have a starter um which you feed it um I feed it once a day uh so my kids joke around that it's my fourth child um (laughs) but uh you do equal parts flour water and then the starter that you had before you're basically feeding it so that it doesn't die out um you can keep it on the counter or you can keep it in the fridge if you keep it in the fridge you don't have to feed it and you're feeding basically a yeast culture with yeah so it's flour and it's water like you said and then it's the yeast the active little beasties that are doing their thing right Right. and you just have to keep feeding them or else they'll die right basically um but i uh so there's a most people who have starters they name them um and so mine uh his name is Artie, and he uh and i got it from the word the uh the Greek word for bread, which is artos, um, the Koine Greek. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think now in modern Greek, it means um, like communion bread. Um, uh-huh. But uh, so uh, I, uh, so we joke around about Artie and how he needs to be fed all the time. And then what? what, what how do you and use then, the So then I use uh, part of the starter uh, when I'm going to feed it the next time, I use part of the starter, um, and then I add flour, water, and salt um, to my most basic loaf, and then I mix it up, 
Um, and then half an hour, I mix it up again. And then I let it sit for probably 10 to 12 hours. Um, and then at that point, um, I shape it into the loaf, uh, the, the bowl, the round loaf. Um, and then I let it rise a second time. And then I put it in a Dutch oven. Um, it captures the steam in it. And so that's what helps it rise before the, the crust um, forms on the outside. And I put it, I put it in the oven and then I take it out and it, we, we joke around in our house cause I don't let our family eat warm bread cause the consistency, like the texture is changes when it cools. But, um, I think most of my family members prefer it warm. Um, so there's always every once in a while, I'll let them cut into a loaf before it cools. <laughs> no, hands off. Yeah, I get to tell you how you eat it. Yeah, (laughs) Um, it it is special when it's warm. I worked uh, as a teenager for a while as cook at a summer camp, and we baked all our own bread. And uh, it wasn't sourdough, but uh, I remember several nights staying up very late, waiting for like to pull twelve loaves out of the convection oven. And you bet I was all alone at, at midnight in this kitchen. And you bet when they came out, I sliced it, slathered on some butter and honey and had my mm. feast right there. So it's good stuff. Yeah, that is pretty good. I, for a little while, I was, um, I can't make uh, bread for the food pantry in town because I'm not, I don't have a commercial kitchen right. and yeah. there's liability issues there. Um, but I was making bread for the families who are getting backpacks of food um, yeah. at school. Yeah. And that was really cool. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed doing that. Uh, so I was making probably, um, I want to say, six to eight loaves on Friday mornings yeah. or Thursday nights um, to drop off for Friday mornings. But uh, with COVID, uh, we had to stop doing that. So and it's I, kind of a bummer. I bet you, I bet you, a number of those families, certainly the kids, have never had bread that was not made in a factory bakery before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think, um, I mean, I, 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 we buy store bought bread so infrequently now. Mm-hmm. I think I can count twice this year that we bought store bought bread, mm-hmm. and. Um, I think there's just, uh, there's something about, you know, and sourdough, sourdough in particular, right? Because, yeah. because the, so I'm going to fill in some things that I, that you didn't say. One of the things about sourdough and about RT is that the yeast that's in a sourdough starter may or may not start out wild. Like you start it with maybe yeast that you have, but as it sits out over time, it picks up wild yeast from the place where you live from your house and from the, from the air, you know, it's blowing through your windows and it takes on a, like uh, they talk about wine having terroir that reflects the ground out of which it's grown. A sourdough bread takes on a kind of, I'm going to make this up, airwar, right? It kind of (laughs) takes the flavor of the air of the place in which you live in in a manner of speaking. Yeah. And from my understanding, it doesn't, like if I were to move to Florida, the the Vermont air doesn't like the the what's unique about Vermont doesn't stay in it very long. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it transitions pretty quickly. Yeah. Not that I want to move to Florida, but um, 
uh, sometimes people will get like dried starter from um, San Francisco and they're like, oh, it's so special. But from my understanding, I mean, it is special because the air there is different, but um, it, once you get it going in your own um, geographic area, it's going to take, it's going to take on different, a different flavor. Yeah. Nice. So talk to me about how this has affected your ministry, right? It, it, uh, it was interesting hearing you talk about your different roles, mom and, and wife and pastor, and, and then how this has kind of worked its way in, how to all those different roles, right? Feeding your family, feeding your neighbors, right? How has this affected your ministry in particular? I think um, one of the things it's gotten me to be a little bit more brave. Um, I give away a lot more bread and then and try to make connections that I don't know if I was brave to do before. Um, it, it's given me courage to uh, to reach out to people that I haven't before. Um, and I think that's been really helpful in that I after our third was born, we had a fair amount of people who went out of their way to make us meals and not people that I was, we were super close with. Like, I mean, there, there was a lot of people from church who made us meals and that was really nice, but there was people outside of church that, that made us dinners. And that really impacted me in in a big way um, that people did that. And so uh, I started making, um, trying to reach out to people I knew that had babies uh, and usually I would wait, you know, a few weeks um, and just say, Hey, can I make you dinner? And uh, I don't think anyone has said no to me. Um, <laughs> and so I always try to make some sort of bread for, uh, for them uh, as part of the meal. Um, I'll make them a loaf or two. And I think, uh, and some of the people I've known, you know, like I kind of know, or we have mutual friends, that kind of thing. Um but I don't know super well. And the connections that I've made there have been significant. And I think um, it's a way that I can show kindness without any strings attached. Um, Because I think sometimes we feel this pressure as Christians to like every relationship needs to go somewhere. Like it needs to, like we need, like you're trying to come up with a way to, to introduce Jesus to them and because you want them to know Jesus. But I think some, I've learned to be a little bit more patient um, (laughs) through doing the sourdough. Um, So I'll make, I'll make them a meal and uh, try to like check in with them, you know, once in a while, see how things are going. Um, And I've seen fruit from that. Um, We've, and not necessarily measurable, like, but I, I can see, those relationships that that um, people are more open to to asking me about Jesus after a while, yeah. um, and that's been really uh, meaningful um, for me. That I I've realized that I don't have to I, like I can just make a loaf of bread and see where God leads it. You know. So it gives you an excuse. It gives you a a, a, a purpose in a sense to reaching out to people, and then it teaches you how to understand a relationship kind of like dough. Dough needs to rise. It takes time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah, absolutely. And and not every 
every uh, loaf of bread I've given away has there been some sort of meaningful connection. Yeah. And that's okay. I don't, I don't necessarily expect that, but um, it's kind of taken me out of my comfort zone. Um, there's a bakery. They mostly do um, like pies and stuff like that, but they, uh, and I went to talk to um, the owner of it recent or a few months ago and, and um, I was talking about how I was trying to find flour because um, we don't have a lot of grocery. Well, we have a little grocery store nearby, but we don't have like bigger grocery stores. So I was talking to him about flour and he's like, well, how much flour do you use? And I was like, oh, probably about 50 pounds a month. <laughs> and then he was like, so what do you like? That's more flour than your family needs. And I was like, oh, I give it away. And, and I don't think he was expecting that. <laughs> do you, do you, uh, do you buy wholesale? <laughs> um, so I have connections. Yeah, I bet. You'd have to at that rate. Yeah. For sure. And that's good. That's good. That's good. Talk, talk yeah, to me about some of your favorite, your favorite bread giving away stories. Favorite bread giving away stories. You know, some of the favorite yeah. stories that are, let's just, let's open that up. Some of the best stories that come out of this whole experience. Um, so, uh, sometimes I get my kids involved, um, and they've snuck bread into, um, people's cars before. That's, that's <laughs> always a lot of fun. Um, so well, you, someone posted, break into cars. Is that part of the deal? They don't break into cars. <laughs> we live in Vermont. People leave their cars open. <laughs> um, so uh, someone posted a picture of my bread and was like, I, this was a lovely, uh, lovely find when I got my car and she knew it was from me. Yeah. And um, someone commented, uh, usually if people take things from my car if I leave it unlocked mm -hmm. and not put things in. But um, uh, I'm trying to think of a good story. And you can, you can, um, you can change the names to protect the innocent. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um recently I had uh, someone someone uh, I just felt like the spirit was leading me to give a loaf to this one person and um, and so I I gave it to I, I messaged her and like within a minute she was like oh I would love a loaf and uh, so I went to her workplace and and gave it to her and she was like it, the uh, yeah it was the joy um i'm trying to think of a good story <laughs> i um uh trying to think hmm. i i give it away to a lot of teachers yeah. school teachers i think one of my kids teachers is gluten-free so that's going to be an interesting challenge this year venture in that direction um so i have a, i have a rice starter that i've been working oh. on a little bit um, I, it's gluten-free is a whole nother, a whole nother thing. Um, and I, someone, I, I came upon, like someone gave me a whole bunch of gluten-free flour, but it's not the right gluten-free flour. So I'm still kind of dabbling a little bit, but, um, well, I've, I would love to be able to give gluten-free bread away. I've heard, um, I've heard that for some people who have gluten sensitivity, they can still eat sourdough bread. Because the because sourdough because it's fermented for like you said eight to ten hours, you let the yeah. you let the dough ferment, and that seems to process some of the gluten differently than than a fast rising um, yeast loaf. I don't know. 
Yeah, people have told me the same thing. Um, mm. And then I think the flour also makes a difference. Um, yeah. I've heard a, at least a couple of people tell me that they have um, issues with either wheat or gluten. And if they have pasta from Italy, that they don't have as many issues. Um, so I think uh, where you get your flour from makes a difference as well. Right. Probably the variety and how it's grown, and that, that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 So I, I think um, I, I, I went outside of my comfort zone and gave a look to some neighbor. I, I've given it to a lot of neighbors, but um, one particular neighbor who have a restaurant, actually two neighbors that have restaurants. And that's always, always, uh, yeah, I, I always get nervous about giving it away to people who actually know something about, <laughs> about bread. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I like uh, one of my neighbors has chickens. Um, we have chickens now too, but, uh, before uh, months ago, I, I asked her if she needed egg cartons because I we save ours for whoever needs them and no one needed them at the time. So I asked her and she's like, yeah. So I left them where she told me to at her house and then I put a loaf on top and, and it was, it's fun to surprise people like yeah. that. Um, That's really cool. There's, there's so many layers to this, to what you're doing. Um, and I love, I love the the simple generosity and the personalness of it. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple, a couple weeks ago, I preached a series of sermons. I was either brave or stupid, depending how you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. It's a series of sermons kind of around the, the social unrest around racism and so on that we've been experiencing in the country, um, trying to explain racism from a Christian point of view, not a, um, social Marxist point of view or whatever, all those other, you know, critical theory and all that kind of business. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the reason for um, the, 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 end of the end of the whole series, the point I was trying to make is what's going to change the world isn't really uh, hundred, thousands of hundreds of people protesting and waving signs and shouting. And it's not even social, it's not even political activism and changing laws. What's really going to change the world is prayer and conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, that, those one-on-one interactions that we have with each other. Um, learning about each other, understanding each other. Uh, that's, that's where it's really at. And I think that's the, way of, that's the way of the cross. That's the way of Jesus. It's very individual. And this is what I love about, one of the things I love about Fellowship Bread. Is, is the way you, you're baking a loaf of bread and you're asking the spirit to reveal to you who is this going to go to and then you're trusting the spirit give the bread to do what the spirit with it and of course the idea of of the yeast in the bread putting carbon dioxide in a sense a breath that transforms the 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 basically wheat paste (laughs) into into food right? It's a transformative thing. There's so many layers of beauty and symbolism and, and meaning in this and the, and the meaning that you give it and the way you give it away. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think um, one of the things that's been really hard with COVID is before this all happened, uh, we, Chris and I really feel strongly about 
having people into our houses to eat meals. Um, when we have meetings, we invite people to come for dinner and then we have the meeting. We just we're like food and faith is definitely something that's important to us. And, um, and so uh, it, I, it's rare that I, we would have a meal without some sort of bread or, you know, yeah. pizza or something like that. Um, because I know that a lot of people really do enjoy it and it's a great way to, um, connect with people. I mean, usually in meetings anyway, you're, you're talking about life might as well make it like official and, um, and embrace that and try to, um, and, and try to foster relationships and, and in through eating meals together. Yeah. yeah. Fel- food and fellowship. There's a reason why, you know, breaking of the bread, it all goes together. Yeah, absolutely. That's terrific. Uh, man, it's been a great conversation with you. Um, it's always fun to talk to you and uh, fellowship bread is such a, such a cool thing. Uh, I'm, I'm obviously very excited about it. Not half as much as you, uh, cause you're actually doing it, but I think it's tremendous. Any, any other thoughts or words, um, that you want to just mention about it? Um, let me think. <laughs> um, yeah, I think having, I think bread for me is my thing, but I, I think that, uh, each person kind of can figure out their, I, like my hope is that other people can find what their thing is. Um, it doesn't have to be bread, um, but their thing to make connections with people and to connect with God. I think it's really helpful to kind of explore those things because I think we sometimes uh, get so caught up like, okay, I have to do my, um, I have to read my Bible every day. I have to pray every day. I have to do this and this and this, um, but really allowing some things that are, that seem a little less spiritual um, become sort of more spiritual in your life. I think that that's my encouragement to to people who are kind of listening to, to this. Thank you, Kathleen. That's terrific. Appreciate you spending the time with us today and uh, man, and enjoy, enjoy that bread. Enjoy giving it away. Thanks. Fellowship bread, what a what a beautiful and meaningful way to be generous and kind to those God brings into our lives. It's um, I think it's very ins- and that's fellowship bread. What a beautiful and meaningful way to be generous and kind to those God brings into our lives. I think it's very instructive to hear Kathleen tell us about how God led her into this endeavor and to see what God is doing with her and through her just through something as simple and ordinary as giving away delicious homemade bread. And I think we should um, heed her parting words. You know, bread might not be your thing, but what has God put in your hands? What do you have? that you can give away. And if you started doing that, what might God do with your gifts? So that's our podcast for today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on whatever podcast app you are listening to. 
And while you're at it, how about dropping us a nice little five-star review? That just makes it easier for people to find us. Until next time, this is Frost Heave Revival. Grace and peace. <laughs>